We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Chargers fans. Welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler. Today, we are talking about some breakout players as well as taking a trip down memory lane and talking about some of our favorite games. Joining me, as always, are Jason and Steven. Guys, just out of curiosity, how much do you think my powder blue signed 28 Melvin Gordon jersey goes for these days? (laughs) Five bucks. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'd I'd say 10 bucks maybe. And Melvin bucks. Gordon would be the one buying it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That guy oh, no. just ne- cannot shut up about the Chargers, man. All right. So today we are going to talk about those breakout players and our favorite games. Let me switch it up. Let's start with our favorite games. Now, most of us, well, most of us, what am I talking about? All three of us were born in the 90s. Steven and I are like 25 and 24 and Jason's, you know, four or something like that. So all, a lot of all of our games are going <laughs> to come younger from 1976. Than you. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, I'm sorry we didn't yeah. see Lance Allworth. We can't give you our, you know, best memory about going to L.A. In their okay, first hold on ever. one second. Yes, Jason? What's that? I hate when people do that. I hate yeah. when people are, are like, you say LT is your favorite Charger ever. Like, LT should win the ballot or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that Bolt B ballot that went on forever ago, and everybody's like, the disrespect to Lance Alworth. I never watched Lance Alworth, okay? I don't watch black and white film. I just don't. So <laughs> I need people to stop getting mad at me about this. I didn't watch him. Yes, I went back and watched his tape. I did. But frankly, I still don't think he was that good. I'm sorry. I wasn't born in 1965, okay? I am sorry. It, the, it's just you can't give me a receiver from back then and compare him to Keenan Allen and tell me that Lance Alworth is better. It's not even comparable. You can't do it. So I'm sorry if my generation likes Keenan Allen better than any receiver in NFL or in Chargers history. Okay. That's, that's the end of my rant. Good rant. Solid rant. Very nice. Jason, do you know what a floppy disk is? I do. I do know what a wow. floppy disk is. He's not is. that much younger than us, Tyler. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm like <laughs> three years younger than you guys. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Jason, when you come down to the stadium, I'll what buy is you a, a beer. Disc? What is a what? A disc. Anyway, what is all right, so disc? let's get into these favorite games of ours. Jason, what is yours? All right, my favorite game is actually a game that the Chargers lost, but I just liked it so much for due to different reasons, and that is the 2015 Green Bay game. And mm. it was a heartbreaker. Mm. It really was. But just from seeing Peak River's performance – 
seeing maybe what was Keenan Allen's best game of his career. And then you got to see Danny Woodhead have a, a good receiving game as well. It was it was just everything was working well. It was probably the last time the Chargers O-line ever blocked decently. So it was just one of those games where you could look at it and say, wow, Rivers went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers, who at the time was being touted as the best quarterback, like the most talented quarterback in history ever. He was Rodgers was in his prime in 2015. And to see Rivers go toe-to-toe with him in a game that the Chargers probably should have won if Rivers doesn't make just the only bad read of the game, maybe. that It was a heartbreaking loss, but it was such a fun game to watch as a fan. And I don't think I've ever seen a shootout to this day, aside from maybe like Patrick Mahomes versus Jared Goff, oddly enough, um, that matched what I felt when I watched Rivers and Rodgers go at it. Yeah, that game was a lot of fun for sure. I... I remember just how fired up philip rivers was uh at the chance to go up against one of the 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 more elite quarterbacks in the league and definitely like you said even though they lost it was it was definitely a lot of fun to watch so there were a few options you know i thought about going with the chiefs game from 2018 Uh, i thought about going with the first game that i attended which was 2005 against the bills a game that the Chargers dominated uh, but I'm actually going to go with the Malcolm Floyd farewell from 2015 in San Diego. Um, the game against the Dolphins in which, you know, you could just feel... Like, I, I wasn't there. I was just watching on TV and, and you could just... I was there. Wow. Well, I'm jealous. Oh, I was living in Utah at the time, so... Uh, there were a lot of fans crying next next to us. A lot of fans. Yeah. It was... You could just sense the emotion from the players, from the fans and everybody. And, and then to see a guy who was always just underrated, underappreciated in his last game, just go out and ball out. And, and you could tell that Rivers was trying to get him the ball as much as he could. And Gates had a great game too. And obviously uh, they won. So I think that game will always have a, have a strong place in my heart just because of the, the memories of, you know, San Diego and, and uh, just, you know, saying goodbye to a player like Malcolm Floyd was was always near and dear to my heart. So I, I'm going to go with that game against the Dolphins in 2015. Well, there's a lot of reasons that game was so um, so powerful emotionally was, first off, it was the last game in San... Well, the last game supposedly in San Diego until I think it got delayed another year, the move. Mm-hmm. And the the team didn't know the, the fate of Eric Weddle. I think that was the year he was kind of throwing his fit or was that 2016 was 2015 or 16 where Eric Whittle was kind of throwing his fit and getting suspended and such like that um not suspended I I think they sat him out or something like that I think it was that year because he played three years with the Ravens right right last year with the Rams so that was, the Eric Weddle was undecided, and he had his thing where he lied down in the middle of the field on the logo. And as much as fits as Eric Weddle gave Chargers fans that year, it was still like a lot to see him just lie down on the field and soak it all in. Uh, it was also a lot of question marks about Philip Rivers because t- people didn't know if he was going to move to Los Angeles to play there. He had, he'd kind of stated otherwise uh, a couple times, like hinted otherwise that you know he loves San Diego. Um, there was a lot of future, like a lot of doubt about Antonio Gates' future as well. And so you had like four potential guys that could have left that offseason. And so it was a very powerful game. It was kind of like, you know, where you're teetering on the end of an era there. Right. And it's insane to me that all four of those guys are gone. Yeah. All four. All four of those guys are gone. The Malcolm Floyd, Philip Rivers, Antonio Gates, and Eric Weddle, which was, those guys were the staple of that Chargers team. So it's pretty crazy. It is crazy because I thought Antonio Gates would have been like, the first one out of there, especially coming off of his PED suspension. And, you know, he kind of looked like he was slowing down, but, uh, you know, unfortunately it was Malcolm Floyd and Eric Weddle. So, yeah, I mean, those days, you know, obviously it was a lot of fun. You know, I fell in love with the San Diego Chargers, obviously. And um, the game that I attended in 2005 was my first NFL game was, was definitely up there as well. But just having that, that emotional feeling of watching one of your favorite players you know, be able to say goodbye and go out in a, in a really fun fashion was was definitely special. So, Tyler, what about you? Yeah, I just want to comment on your game real fast. I mean, I was there as well with my sister, and that was the first time we had gone to a game together as well. And just like you, like Jason said, just seeing all these fans crying and everybody holding signs and whatnot. It wasn't like this, you know, unfortunately, and I guess it's kind of their fault, not all of them, 
but San Diego fans kind of get a bad rap these days for being these salty Twitter kind of trolls. And that's just a very, I assume, small, very, very vocal minority. But then it was, it was something different. It was just people losing, you know, 50 something family members and a team that, you know, in the seats, well, they thought at the time, you know, that their grandparents had, that their dad had, that they're maybe taking their sons to. It's just like, and to see it all go, I mean, and then topping it off with the um, uh, Good Riddance Time of Your Life song by Green Day. I mean, I don't know. That was, that was a really special game for sure. When I wrote back at Bolt Beat, that was one of my best games of the decade that I, that I put down. So that was a pretty, pretty emotional game for sure. Mine is more happy. Um, the stage was interesting for this one because the Seahawks in 2000... Well, the Seahawks were the Super Bowl champions the year before. And the week prior... They destroyed on opening opening week the Green Bay Packers thirty six to sixteen. Chris Carter was on ESPN. He says there's no way that Rivers and the Chargers are going to beat the Seahawks, but if they do, I'll come on ESPN yeah. and apologize. And so, of course, for the Chargers at the time, I believe they lost to the Cardinals in a the terrible fashion the week before. Just typical week one Monday Night Football loss for them. Bummer. Facing the defending Super Bowl champions, you just crushed the Packers. And so we go, and that's our that's I was a season ticket holder at the time, and that was our, you know, that was our opening opening game. That was our whiteout game. We usually had like a week one whiteout sort of game where we wore all white, which ended up helping that game. We'll talk about that, I guess. And getting there was the first time. Now listen, I'd been to Raiders games for years prior, and Raiders fans are very loud, and Raiders fans travel very well. And, you know, they'll let you know that they're there. But I will say that the when I got to that stadium, the Seahawks fans that were there were as loud a fan base as I've ever heard. And they were waving this huge Seahawks banner. I swear it was illegal. That's how big it was. And it was the loudest I've ever heard opposing teams or opposing fans before a game even started. Um, so I was nervous. My coworker at the time was a big Seahawks fan, so I had like a $50 bet with her, you know, who would win. And of course, like, yeah, I'm going to root for the Chargers, but come on, the Seahawks. That, that team that won the Super Bowl was incredible. So the game starts out, and I think it was the first touchdown was Percy Harvin, who I believe steps out of bounds, actually, on the replay. Wow. Right? He um, takes that long touchdown, and we're going, oh my God, not only... You know, we're going to get maybe even killed by this team, but the refs are going to screw us too because in the replay, we were all pretty sure that he stepped out of bounds. So they're like, ah, geez, what's going to happen? And then, touchdown gates. Touchdown gates. Touchdown gates. And it was just like, wait, what is going on? The fact, I mean, just a vintage rivers to gates, three touchdown performance. You know, and this team was pretty stacked. I'm looking at the, the, the members of the roster, you know, Gates, Royal, Allen, Woodhead, Matthews, Floyd, Brown. Like, there's some pretty decent members on this offense. This wasn't, you know, this is the team that went to the, the playoffs the year before. And just, just you know, with the, with the Heat beating down on the Seahawks and the Chargers apparently possessing the ball for like 42 minutes that game. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I can't remember the last time the Chargers possessed the ball for 42 minutes out of 60. And it was just a complete beatdown. And the final actual drive that Seahawks had to have any chance of winning uh, that was in our end zone and I've never yelled so loud in my life and by that and when they finally didn't convert on fourth down or whatever it was you know it was the last time that I remember San Diego being so triumphant you know because they were you know we're all in the end zone and we're singing you know San Diego superchargers and everyone's just freaking out because they just knocked off the defending Super Bowl champions and to me you know that was like the last truly happy, triumphant San Diego Chargers moment that I can remember because the rest of the season was eh, and then 2015 and 16. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So really, like, that was the last time I felt like the Chargers were just on top of the world until, I guess, 2018, you know, and then we talk about the, the Baltimore Ravens game or whatever. So that's my favorite game for me. There's a couple others that stand out. Uh, my, my mom, my grandparents, they're all from Philadelphia, and but they moved in, like, the 70s, uh, to come over here to California. So in 2017, is this I got the game where Vic went off? No, no, I'm talking actually just talking about it's uh. not like the game isn't all that great. 
I that, that game though they're talking about where it was Keenan Allen's first game or not first game his first catch that game was great but I'm talking about their first uh, the mm-hmm. first time that I saw the Eagles play live because it's my, it was the first time I got to go to a game with my grandpa and the first time he had seen the Eagles play in like 40 something years so for me to go with my, my grandpa to that game and my dad it was it was pretty cool so a couple of games like that sentimental stuff um, my first game was in 2010 Denver Broncos uh, against, uh hmm Denver Broncos 2013 game. As yeah, well. amazing, amazing. That was a very awesome game. Everyone knows the highlight, you know, from Keenan Allen. Yeah. What a what a game! So a lot of good games to pick. Um, I'm sorry, yours was a loss, Jason. <laughs> yeah, you know it's okay. I I've argued with people all the time that winning is not everything in this sport, and you know memories are a big uh, are a big deal. Sure. Experience is a big deal. And honestly, at the end of the day, I just like watching these players perform and go toe-to-toe with some of the best. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing Rivers go yeah. toe-to-toe with Rodgers and nearly come out with a win like that was something special because mm-hmm. that was just peak Rivers' performance. And, you know, Keenan Allen being probably my favorite player in the league, well, is my favorite player in the league, watching him just have the day he did as well was something special. And... Yeah. You know, there's just like this common this common theme of in these games, who did the Chargers rely on? And it's the same answer every time. It's like either Phillip Rivers, Antonio Gates, or Keenan Allen. And I'm sad mm-hmm. that those three aren't together anymore. Uh, it's a shame, but man, it's 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 nice to remember these things, remember these games, and uh, that Seahawks game like you're talking about. I think that's the game where uh, Keenan Allen read had Richard Sherman spinning in circles. Yep. Which is such a good memory. Mm -hmm. I loved that route. I saw it Mm -hmm. and I was like, that's your best corner in the league. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, And I, I, I had a couple Seahawks fans that, uh, that I knew. So I was in their face a lot after that game. Um, That was also a really good Eddie Royal game. Eddie Royal had some clutch catches in that game. Um, yeah, you're right. Eddie Royal Absolutely. had clutch catches all the time for the Chargers that we always forget. Those did, diving yeah. catches, mm-hmm. uh, digging it out of the dirt, or those one-handed grabs. Man, I miss Eddie Royal. He was one of my favorite Chargers players to watch. And mm-hmm. I, I love reminiscing about games like this. This is I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, our preview podcast before episode one was actually where we just sat down and we did this. We just remembered old games about the chargers yeah. and we talked about these, all these old players. And this yeah. is kind of like a, uh, a sequel to that almost. And there's like this unseen footage from way back in the day, our very first time. And there's <laughs> right. this like, that's when we kind of knew too, like, Hey, this can work. Yeah, um, for sure. This podcast could be something special. So it, it's cool to come, come far, come this far and see this moment of, of us three just talking about more Chargers games, and that just goes back to the root of it of, man, we could talk about the Chargers all day long, all day long, without pause. And um, I probably would if nobody stopped me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it really is just special because, you know, this is – I love football, dude, and and coming together with the three of us has just been been a lot of fun. And and going back to the Seahawks game, I almost chose that one because I was actually living in Mexico – for the 2013 and 2014 mm. season. So I missed the Keenan Allen Denver game. I missed the playoff game, playoff run in 2014. And so, you know, I came back from living in Mexico and I was watching and I saw them just get destroyed in the first, the home opener or whatever. And then I had heard and heard and heard about the Seahawks and how great of a team the Seahawks were. And so <laughs> to watch the Chargers go into Seattle where no one goes in to win. And, you know, Antonio Gates just had the, like, probably the best game I've ever seen from a tight end. And so that was really like a really special moment. And, and to Jason's point, like going to football games is about memories more than anything. And, you know, one of my favorite games was actually the 2018 Ravens home game because it was the first game I had gone to with my wife, Brooke. And, you know, even though they lost, it was just a great experience. You know, Sean Merriman was there to, to light off the cannon and stuff like that. And even though they lost, it was a really fun, entertaining game. And, and I'll never forget that one as well. So, you know, it, it is possible to have fond memories of losses. And, and that was definitely one for me as well. Yeah. I don't have a lot of fond memories of losses. I mean, I guess, the Eagles game. 
But like I've sat through some miserable crap too because I paid a lot of money to watch them. Oh yeah, bomb 2015, 2016. I remember that Saints game where my friend and I, the Chargers were ahead enough where I figured, okay, we can go to the tram and beat traffic. By the time we walked out of the building and got to the tram, they lost. I mean that was that game sucked. <laughs> Just watching them yeah. on the outside jumbotron lose. Anyway, this is for good memories, not for bad memories. So. Uh, let's talk about some more good stuff. How about some players that are going to break out this season? We each have a couple. So, Steven, why don't you start us off with that one? Yeah, so before I, I bring up my guy, I, I want to clarify what we're saying, like breakout is making a jump forward. And that's not necessarily someone that's going to come in and, and, you know, go Keenan Allen all over everyone and just totally go elite player. So I'm thinking more of like someone that's making a, a good size jump not necessarily jumping into like the elite territory. So I want to want to clarify that before I start. And my player that I'm choosing first is a guy that I just did a film breakdown on, and that's Rayshon Jenkins. But Steven, he's already elite. I know that has just been kind of like the joke of Twitter. Unfortunately, Anthony Lynn had made that comment. But, you know, I actually think Rayshon Jenkins was pretty solid last year, and we have to remember that it was his first season as a free safety. You know, in college, in his first couple of years in the NFL, he was a strong safety. He was a dimebacker type player like Adrian Phillips. And so as a free safety, I thought he was pretty solid. Uh, obviously, he missed some tackles, and, and I would like to see him be more consistent uh, going forward, and I think he'll be able to do that. So what I liked from watching him on film is it's very noticeable on tape that he is an athletic freak. You know, he has one of the higher vertical jumps on the team. He's got really good ball skills and he uses his sideline to sideline range very well. And so, you know, kind of judging this off of what the Chargers have had in the past with Trey Boston, who was a pretty good ball hawk, but a miserable tackler. And then Jalil Adai, who was a miserable ball hawk, decent tackler, but just kind of would throw his body around in a, in a, ridiculous fashion he would really just try and take people's heads off so I'm going with Rayshon Jenkins because I think he's going to make a jump forward and especially with the scheme change where the Chargers are going to play two high safeties I think that's really going to benefit him because at heart he is a strong safety at heart he wants to come down and lay the wood and make some plays for some fumbles and wreak some havoc wreak some havoc and I think the the scheme change is going to do him well now, as far as him being a deep free safety, I could see him getting four or five interceptions. You know, he had three this past season, so I could see him making a leap up there. Um, but I think with a scheme change, we could see him get, you know, as we know, tackles aren't everything, but I think with the scheme change, we could see him get 15 to, to 20 more tackles than he had last year and go from decent or solid to, to above average this year. I'm not projecting him to say to come out and be – Anthony Lynn. I'm not projecting him to make Anthony Lynn's statement true. I don't think he's going to come out and be an elite safety, but I do think he's going to come out, develop in a in a positive manner, and be a above average player this season. Well, you know, even back, dating back to his Miami days, Rayshon Jenkins has really been an in the box safety. Miami has this um, this strong safety role where it's kind of like the Chargers hybrid dimebacker. Um, and I, they, Miami doesn't call it a strong safety. They call it something like a a, a striker or something like that. I, I, I'd need to double check it. But um, that that's what Rayshon Jenkins played. And there's a UDFA for the Chargers uh, for, out of Miami that played the same thing. Uh, Rome, Romeo? Romeo Finley? Is that what his name is? I think so, yeah. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, but he played the same role in Miami. So... Rayshon Jenkins had never played free safety. That is a very good point. Uh, and he does show some traits that you that you love. Right. Uh, the interception on Patrick Mahomes where he, he attacks the ball. He really does. He goes after it. Uh, I think it was even the Houston game where uh, he came across the field from all the way from center field and jumped in front of a outside fade to pick off Deshaun Watson. I think it was called back for some reason or another. Yeah. But he he does have good ball skills. It's just the tackling is really rough, and it's not something you want to see your free safety suck at. And when you when you're not a sure tackler, there there's problems when it comes to lanes. Like you got to contain your lane, and if you give that up as a free safety, your lane is basically the last resort. So you're going to see a lot of big plays. 
uh, Cortland Sutton, um, the the tight end that ran like a five two on Houston that ran for like <laughs> oh, yeah. a seventy um, yard fells, touchdown. Fells, yeah, uh, that was the worst. Uh, that that's a free safety deal, and you know bad angles or missed tackles or just not cl- bad closing speed. Whatever the case may be, it's it's a struggle to watch Rayshon Jenkins fail in those moments. But I do like watching watching Rayshon Jenkins jump the deep ball or attack the ball in front of the receiver. There's not a lot of Chargers players that will attack the ball as aggressively as Rayshon Jenkins does, yeah. which is frustrating. You know, you see Desmond King, and he's really conservative in the slot. He doesn't like to jump those hitch routes. He'd rather wait for the ball to be complete, and then he'll make the tackle. Jenkins doesn't do that. He's like, nah, that's mine. Um and for better or worse, that's how he is. But it is refreshing to sometimes see that that dog in him, that aggressive mentality of, nah, that ball is going to be in my hands. So I will say that we give Rayshon Jenkins too much crap, and it's not necessarily Rayshon Jenkins' fault. Right. The, the fault lies with two things, the first being Anthony Lynn and the second being favoritism. Anthony Lynn saying the elite comment did not help at all no. at all no. and the favoritism part being and this is the case for a lot of chargers players in general um chargers fans have a tendency to pick a favorite player and if something is in that favorite player's way that something is very hated oh, okay so i see what you're saying because people want to see nasir adderley so bad right okay. mm-hmm. And people hated Thomas Davis a lot because they wanted to see Kaiser White on the field and Drew Tranquil on the field. And it's a very it's a very bad tendency there. And now it's kind of evolved to, you know, Michael Davis and that Desmond King should play outside instead of Michael Davis. And so people are really exaggerating how bad Michael Davis Michael Davis is bad. Let me just let me just clarify that right now. Michael Davis is not a good corner. <laughs> But he's not the but worst. But it's exaggerated yeah. because people want somebody else on the field. And I'm guilty of that, too. I am guilty of that to an extent. You know, like like making myself believe Dan Feeney is not as good as he is because I want to see Forrest Lamp on the field. Um, and just cases like that. Michael Schofield is another example of people really hating Michael Schofield because they want to see Forrest Lamp on the field. Now, Michael Schofield is another example. Like, he was bad. But case in point this is it's just a trend that chargers fans seem to have with these players they want to see their guy on the field and so they'll they'll trash on these other players in order to kind of quote-unquote prove their point yeah and so i'm not saying it's just chargers fans either i've seen some other fan bases do it as well Uh, it's just how it's just how sports fans are you know it's always going to be there um i'm not very familiar with baseball but I know, I know. A couple of Dodgers fans get really pissed because they want to see a certain pitcher in there when I don't even know, man. But um, it's it's just how it is. Yeah, I see what you're saying for sure. We all like our guys, and and I remember going down to training camp and actually really wanted to see Drew Tranquil on the field after training camp. So I, I get it. As for Rayshon Jenkins, again, I'm not projecting him to be like this elite player, and I do want to see more consistency, especially in tackling and angles and things like that. But I saw enough good games out of him you know particularly I thought he played very well in the Steelers game I thought he played really good in the Lions game I thought he played really good in Miami Uh, so I saw enough good to really good games where I I feel comfortable with pegging him as a guy who could make a leap forward in 2020 but definitely want to see more consistency Um, his angles are either really good or they're really bad and his tackling is either really good or really bad so Definitely some room for improvement, but if it does happen, you know, and he does come out and play really well this season, I would not be surprised at all. All right, Jason, what about you? My breakout player is Forrest Lamp. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're done with that. God. No more. No, nope. Not falling for no that No more. Um, so my breakout player, it feels a little cheesy, and I kept thinking about this when I was, you know, getting everything together for this, uh, but it's going to be Tyrod Taylor. And... It, it almost does feel like kind of a cheese because he didn't play last year. But it's not necessarily just a breakout based on last year. It's based on his whole career. And you look at the rosters he played with. You look at the coaches he's played under. You look at the situations presented to him. You look at the chances he wasn't given to him. 
you look at the um, situation that that totally wasn't favoritism or anything in Buffalo, um, where they Jeez. put the you know what we're we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> I, everybody knows how much I hate Buffalo. Uh, I don't know why they decided that Nathan Peterman was better than Tyrod Taylor, but whatever. Um, just. I think this is the best situation for him. And I think he has a coaching staff that believes in him. Anthony Lynn 100% believes in him. And I, I firmly do believe that. Uh, you just, every time Anthony Lynn talks about Tyrod Taylor, it's all smiles. And it's almost like he's bragging about Tyrod Taylor. So I just, I think this is a situation where it's going to be Tyrod Taylor finally has some faith put in him. And I think he's going to take that and run away with it. And, you know, I've, I've suggested it a few times. I don't think Justin Herbert is going to see the field anytime soon. And I think that conversation is starting to pick up a little bit more here uh, because people are starting to believe that Tyrod Taylor can lead the team. I know there's still a lot of doubters out there that say, like, that he can't, which is, you know, it's completely, I was going to say fair, but it's kind of not. Um, it's understandable because, you know, he's, he's never been a long-term starter for any team. And the one team that he was liked the Nathan Peterman more. <laughs> but it's just, you know, you watch the tape. And even when there was everything was going wrong around him, there's almost like this calmness about Tyrod Taylor. He never panics. He never gets, like, too in his own head. He's always resetting, and he's just getting ready for the next play. Limit the turnovers, take care of the ball, and just put your teammates in the best chance to to win the game. And Tyrod Taylor's really good at that. He's really good at that. And on a team where, you know, he's mentoring Justin Herbert and in the meantime still trying to get this team to the playoffs and he's dealing with um, two new young receivers and um, he has to develop a chemistry with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry. It's, it's all fresh to him now. It's all a new start. It's all foreign to him almost. Uh, he did have kind of a year to be the backup and get used to it a little bit. It just doesn't seem like a situation where Tyrod would fail. It, it doesn't. It seems like a situation where he just calmly steps on the field and gets the job done. And I know we've played it safe. I've played it safe in saying, you know, 3,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, uh, under 10 interceptions or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it a step further, I think. And I'm going to say that Tyrod Taylor has a season worthy of a big contract. I think he has a true breakout season for the Chargers and not just a sense of he takes care of the ball and doesn't do something stupid like everybody's assuming. I think Tyrod Taylor goes out and kills it. I think he throws for 30-plus touchdowns. I think he rushes for another 10. I think he has a season very similar to Cam Newton's MVP season, and I think he gets I think he gets a low rumble of MVP talks this season. I think he's going to kill it is what I'm saying. I think he has a breakout season, like as in the best season of his career, where it's like the next step up for Tyrod Taylor. And everybody's like, how has this guy not been given a true opportunity like that? Um, I just, that's what I see from Tyrod Taylor when I watch him play. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be the Chargers quarterback for the next four or five years. Ooh. That's really, I like that ending, man. I like that a lot. Full take. Bull take episode. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm a. I'm actually kind of bummed. I didn't think of Tyrod Taylor. I guess I was. I think. Well, I got thought of anybody else. Um, but man, I would. I mean, I would love that. I'm a huge Tyrod Taylor fan. I do feel so bad for him with everything that happened in you know Buffalo and Cleveland, and I guess in the same way that I honestly I defended like guys like Melvin Gordon or Mike Williams, maybe a little bit more than I should. You know, guys that I just feel like get some crap early on. And I just like, oh, please do well. I just like, I'm rooting for you to do well. But Tyrod Taylor is different. Like, I feel like all my love for Phillip Rivers has almost transferred to A, Bobby Holly, <laughs> and then B, Tyrod Taylor. For whatever reason, <laughs> I just act like, like you. I believe in him. I don't know about 30 t- passing touchdowns and 10 rushing touchdowns. I would be thrilled if that were the case. Um yeah, because I've been rooting for him for, for first since day one, you know, and I put up that blind resume test, and ninety-two percent of you voted for Tyrod Taylor, who supposedly is the career backup, low ceiling, no good, couldn't make it in Cleveland guy, but you all voted for him when you didn't know who the names were. So listen, if he makes it and has a great season, and he's their quarterback for the next few years, 
I'm all for it. And that proves that Lynn is kind of a has been missing. I'm assuming if he has that kind of season that they're making it pretty far into the postseason and that Anthony Lynn has finally uh, shown that he's right. Like he does get his quarterback in the style of offense he wants. And if it works, whew, I mean, I'd, be, I'd be pretty excited. So, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, that would be that would be so much fun because you know we're all big we're all big fans of Tyrod and and we think that he's going to be able to see, succeed this season. Um, but man, I, I love that take, Jason. I love that. It's good work. Uh, okay, Tyler, who is your breakout player? So uh, as I was scrolling through Pro Football Focus because I like to look at certain just like a couple of backup stats just because they keep track of stuff I don't want to tr- keep track of. Uh, apparently, one of the things they keep track of are birthdays, and apparently, Dan Feeney's birthday is Friday, today, the day that you're listening to this. Um, I didn't plan that. Oh, happy birthday, Dan. Happy birthday, dude. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I didn't plan that, but Dan Feeney is going to be my pick for breakout player. Yeah, uh, He's a guy, and I'll say this, and if you listeners know what I'm talking about, great. If not, I'm not going to explain it. I feel as if last season... At a couple of positions, but also along the offensive line, particularly at the guard spots, I feel there was a narrative that some players were worse than they were, and that some players maybe were better than they were, and that, you know, I think Feeney kind of got a bad rap last season from some people, um, and I'll leave it at that. I think you should, the first thing you should do is, is throw out Pro Football Focus's grades, um, because they kind of suck when it comes to the Chargers offensive line. I don't think they've liked a Chargers offensive lineman since Jesus. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, look. What position did you just what position did Jesus, did Jesus play? Jesus, play? Uh, Jesus was a left tackle, absolutely. Oh, oh, clipboard Jesus. No, he's a backup quarterback. Clipboard yeah. Jesus. <laughs> uh, anyway, look, I think... Feeney, I can't. So it's interesting that Jason started to go back and watch film, and the, one of the first things he said to us was, "Oh, Feeney is actually playing pretty good right now." And I remember that last season, and I kind of felt like he just played. I mean, he started a lot better, and I think things fell off. And we'll talk about that. I think that's the kind of season I, I'm hoping that Feeney can have this year. And there's a couple of reasons. Last year started off really well, and then you can kind of see where everything falls off. Um, first of all, the dude is playing next to Trent Scott on his right is Sam Tevy. At best, you've got Schofield, and he's got Pouncey with him. And when he had Pouncey, he was having pretty solid games. And I don't know if, Jason, you can confirm or deny after this, but it feels like Feeney got a little bit worse when he had to switch back to center, or switch to center, then back to guard when Feeney got, or when Pouncey got hurt, then Lamp got hurt. And I just feel like his situation last year kind of stunk. But when everything was kind of stable, he played pretty well. And now moving it into an offense where hopefully Trey Pipkins is the starter and it's a stable, nice, whole offseason, all preseason. Because Feeney didn't play left guard in the preseason. He played center. So it's not like he got to work with those guys in the same fashion he would week one. So hopefully this whole preseason, if they're whatever they have, you know, he's got Pipkins there the whole time. I guess he won't have Pouncey next to him if Lynn sits the starters. Anyway, I just think that Feeney is primed to break out and continue along his success that he started with last season but couldn't finish because of the turmoil around him. It was awful. And now, listen, I don't know how many times Tyrod Taylor is going to throw to get Jason's 30 touchdowns, but I believe that they are going to run it a lot more. And if Feeney does anything well, it's run block. So I think he's going to have a solid yeah. year there. <clears throat> and um, so I'm excited for him, and I'm rooting for him. You know, I was pining for him last season, last preseason, because everyone's thinking, oh, Lamp should be the guy. Lamp should be the guy. And listen, in 2017, Lamp should have been the guy, and he was the guy. But circumstances change, and here we are. Rayshon Jenkins is our starting free safety. Like, who would have thought that? Um, so, so if we need your left guard, and like, that's just how it is. So I, I hope yeah. he does well. And, um, yeah, I think he's going to be the breakout player this season. No, I think you're spot on because, you know, I, I haven't watched much. I, you know, I watched – I spent the last 48 hours watching the Colts game and only the Colts game and taking notes and, and you know, <laughs> digesting every single play and watching every single player. And so this one thing on offense I kept coming back to, you know, obviously Keenan Allen was great in the, in the Colts game. His routes were super clean. And I thought actually Justin Jackson played particularly well. I thought Eckler killed in the passing game. 
But the player I kept watching, and it was, this was credit to Jason's comment, is was Dan Feeney. And like you mentioned, you know, this was your comment was very similar to what we talked about with Chris Harrison and the importance of chemistry and stability and continuity on the offensive line. And Dan Feeney had zero part of that last season. You know, playing center in the preseason, playing next to Trent Scott, and then Mike Pouncey goes down and he switches positions and then he switches back. And so I thought Dan Feeney was pretty solid, and like you said, especially in the run game. But in that Colts game, he was he was the best offensive lineman on the team, I thought. And you know, I thought he played really well. I thought he was solid in pass protection. He was, had some really good blocks and run in the run game as well. Um, cannot say the same about Trent Scott, who was horrendous. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to see Dan Feeney. I, I think the left guard spot is his job. And you know, you mentioned the pro football focus thing too. It's like impossible for pro football focus to give a positive grade to an offensive lineman. Like, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if they hate the, the group or, or what, but it's really hard to make an elite grade as an offensive lineman on pro football focus. So um, when it comes to offensive linemen, you know, I'm not like an expert or anything like that, but I'm going to trust my eyes more than what I see from pro football focus in terms of Chargers offensive linemen. And Dan Feeney was pretty solid in week one. Yeah, I remember I told you guys about that. And, you know, there was almost like this surprise from everybody when I when I said it on Twitter as well. Dan Feeney was excellent <laughs> against the Colts. And he was excellent against the Texans, and he was excellent against the Lions. And I was really surprised because, you know, I don't, I didn't pay too much attention to offensive line as a whole last year. Uh, I think there was a brief period in the in the, like midseason because everybody was saying they were so bad, and um, I kind of I wanted to be the other perspective and say, you know what, they're not that bad. They kind of were, but <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to be like, I wanted to give the other side of the argument, like, well, there's some things they do well. And, um, but so it was kind of a narrative that Dan Feeney sucked because, you know, everybody else on the Chargers online sucked. So when I went back and watched the first three games, I was fairly surprised by watching Dan Feeney just go off, you know, and there was, it's not like he was Quentin Nelson, but he was, you know, sure. he, he held his own and, when everybody around him was not holding their own, including uh, Mike Pouncey, who I thought actually did not play good at all in any of those three games. You have Trent Scott on your left, Mike Pouncey on your right, and you're doing good. You know, and that's that's more than you can ask for from an offensive lineman because, you know, there's not a lot of – what's the easiest way to put it? When you have no leverage, okay? So one thing I've been looking into a lot when scouting quarterbacks, when scouting linemen, uh, corners, receivers, is leverage. I've been just learning a lot about that and scouting it a lot. And it kind of applies to linemen too. And when you've got leverage given up on your left, you know, you have your anchor to your left and your left tackle, what's supposed to be your anchor, and then your center on the right, which is supposed to be this technician, this really smart player that – communicates and understands everything and you don't get leverage on either side and it's like you're building a brick wall here or a pocket and nothing's supposed to get through and when stuff is when pressure is getting through all around you and you're still there it's like think of a dam a dam can hold back water right but if you just put a pole in the middle what are the chances that one pole is going to hold there you know it's it's not very good that thing is going to really go down over time and so you know it's just you with Dan Feeney he just kind of held his own despite everything getting blown up around him and I respected watching him a lot because it's it's super hard almost like he has a tunnel vision of this is my play and I'm going to hold this play and yeah sometimes he literally did hold but you know he played really well (laughs) and I was super happy watching him um and it gave me confidence looking at this offensive line going into next year of, you know, Bulaga and then Turner and Pouncey or, or Questenberry, whoever wins that job. And then Feeney and then left tackle. That's just up in the air. We have no idea, but it's just, you know, I have a lot more confidence. There's only one spot where I'm really like, this doesn't look good. 
because even center, if Pouncey or Questenberry, I'm, I'll take either of those two, honestly. I'm, I'm fine with it. But left tackle is the only question mark here uh, for me, aside from injuries. So I'm watching Feeney sure. have a good season to start off and then him potentially breaking out next year. It gives me a lot of confidence in the offensive line. Yeah, one thing I definitely want to see of this coaching staff in 2020 is playing the starting offensive line or whoever is supposed to be starting in the preseason. I think not having that chemistry built up in the preseason really hurt them, particularly uh, Mike Pouncey, who I thought played really bad in week one and really the rest of the season. And something that I noticed in the Colts game is that anytime that there was a a relatively complex pressure, whether it be a a blitz from the nickel or a double A-gap blitz, I thought the Chargers really struggled with that. And I think a lot of that you know, stems from what Mike Pouncey is able to do. And maybe he wasn't comfortable with the other guys around him, but I thought that that was definitely one area where the Chargers need to improve going forward. Um, and so I'm actually going to talk about Trey Pipkins here. Um, nice. I know that not a lot of Chargers fans are excited about him. I am very excited about Trey Pipkins. Uh, I went back and I've watched the Chiefs game in Mexico City in the last game against the Raiders uh, twice each, particularly focusing in on uh, Trey Pipkins. And I liked what I saw. And I know at Oakland when he came in for uh, Russell Okung, he didn't play very well. I'll admit that. It was not a pretty thing to watch. Um, You know, just circumstances. Maybe he wasn't comfortable or maybe his preparation was off. I don't really know. But when he had time to prepare as the starter for the Chiefs in Mexico City and the Raiders in the last game, I really liked what I saw. And, you know, I know he gave up the sack against Frank Clark that ended up being as an interception. But outside of that, I didn't count many other pressures that he gave up. And I thought that he really held his own against one of the better pass rushers in the league. Uh, As much as I don't like Frank Clark, I thought Trey Pipkins really did a fantastic job against him for the most part. And then against Cleveland Farrell and Max Crosby in the last game, I thought he really excelled. I thought he had a really, really good game against Oakland, uh, now Las Vegas, which is super weird. But I think Trey Pipkins is going to win this job. I'm fairly confident in that. I don't think it's going to be as much of a competition as Anthony Lynn is making it out to be. Um, and, you know, the X factor of the season and going forward is James Campen. And I have full confidence that James Campen is going to get his hands on Trey P- Pipkins as a fresh ball of clay and mold him into a, a potentially really good starting tackle in this league. And, and so I'm really confident in Trey Pipkins going forward. And I think Chargers fans should be more confident in him as well. So the big thing here with Trey Pipkins is um, it. I, I almost wanted to pick him. I did, but I've been so, I've been so high on Trey Pipkins anyway. Um, but one, one thing to notice about uh, these third round picks that the chargers have is they generally start to have more of an impact in year two. Um, even dating back to Craig Major or Major, however you say his name, uh, I don't care. He was bad. <laughs> End of story. Uh, year two, despite him not being ready at all, that uh, was very bad. But they they played him. They did, and for worse. <laughs> There's no for better or worse. It's just for bad. It was not good. But in year two, he did have a more of a more of a role there. Dan Feeney, uh, you're, they started him right off the bat, but they, they didn't want to originally. Originally, they wanted him to sit back and learn at center. And then um, Justin Jones, year two, he, he was playing uh, basically a starting role, and I thought he looked great. And so they generally do find these developmental guys, and it's not the worst thing in the world. Sure, they're small school guys. Maybe they're a reach, quote-unquote. But if you have a guy in the mid-rounds that you believe in, even though he's a developmental player, you draft him. And so if they think they can develop Pipkins into what they want, then they did a good job by pulling the trigger. And, you know, if you follow the trend from before, there's some hits and there's some misses. Uh, But if they believe in the guy, then give him a shot. So the next guy I wanted to talk about as a potential breakout player was going to be Justin Jackson. And I'm I'm still kind of second-guessing it. Like, I don't want to... Don't want to go all in. Yeah, but be, mainly because they drafted Joshua Kelly. But also Bobby Holly, who is now the best running back on the roster. <laughs> but, Heck yeah. 
Justin Jackson. And maybe it's just because I went back and watched the first three games of the season. And so, like, I have this this recent memory in my head of just, like, wow, he was amazing in those first three games. Like, he's very similar to Eckler in the way that he just finds space when there's none at all. And it's just, it's really fun to watch him on tape have this vision and I don't even know if I can call it vision because it's not there. It's not like you can see it. He he hits these holes that just don't exist sometimes. And so I can't even call it vision. I think it's just instincts and preparation. He he chains moves together that just I don't see very often from running backs. You know, even Ezekiel Elliott, you call it a one one cut back and then it's all power and speed from there. Uh, Leonard Fournette, even Melvin Gordon, he wasn't really one to like chain moves together. He was just one cut and go and get yards after contact, such like that. Um, I've seen Eckler do it a couple of times, but Justin Jackson does it in a really smart way. He knows how to hesitate and he knows how to dip his shoulder to manipulate the guy ahead of him. He knows how to weave in and then weave back out to manipulate the safety's angle. And it's just really smart football. And really smart football from a running back can keep you going for a while. Um, Darren Sproles being a good example of that. Very smart player, very athletic player. But he stuck around for a long time due to that route running and understanding of defenses. And understanding how to get the most out of an opportunity when he's running. So Justin Jackson is just really similar to me, like in my eyes, to those that type of player. Where you know he's just getting the most out of the play because he's a smart player and he understands and that was something – one of the first things I noticed when the Chargers drafted him in the seventh round was that I think he had like a 4.1 or a 4.2 at Northwestern. and like, Which is amazing. Kind of thing. This guy's smart. Yeah. And um, he proves that on the field. Like you can tell he knows what he knows what's happening around him, especially as a pass blocker. You see his limited pass blocking reps. He's really smart. He knows exactly where the blitz is coming from, where the pressure is coming from, and he, he reacts really well to it. And so, you know, get – Getting Melvin Gordon out of Los Angeles is a good step in the right direction. Uh, the next step is having him stay healthy, and I think Justin Jackson can be a breakout player. The hesitation here is that stay healthy. I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal because he didn't really have any injuries his rookie season aside from the preseason when you know it was kind of, is he going to make the roster or not? And they elected to have him make the roster, which surprised a lot of people. But... Every game that he's been in and had a role in has been well. almost like magical in the sense of like watching this guy move. And I, I gave this comparison a while ago, and a lot of people surprisingly agreed with me. But I said, does anybody get the feeling when they're watching Justin Jackson that they're watching Ladanian Tomlinson? And it's 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 maybe a little too far. I exaggerate it a little bit. But it's almost like a shadow of Ladanian Tomlinson where you watch that same shoulder dip where he does this jump yeah. cut and gets outside. The running style is just very similar, very smart. And, you know, he might not have the power of Ladanian Tomlinson, but I don't know. There's just something nostalgic to Justin Jackson when you watch him where you're just like, this guy, this guy has something there. And I, I'm really excited to watch him have a year where he gets a feature role beside Joshua Kelly and Austin Eckler because that's what it's going to be. These three guys are going to be a, a team in this rushing attack, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Hey, Justin Jackson's an interesting choice. I love – I know what you're talking about, that move that he makes. He almost makes this, like, bobblehead left, bobblehead right kind of thing. <laughs> where he just like, – like, I don't know what he does, but you watch him do I wish everyone could see the video of this right now. <laughs> Tyler did this. Well, <laughs> Tyler's camera was shaking. I'm glad I could. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. That was that, you could see in Pittsburgh where he does. Okay, guys. Oh, man. <laughs> I quit. You know what? I co- I coached uh, these six year old kids back in the day where they there's these little bodies with giant football helmets on and their head just keeps moving side to side. And that's exactly what Tyler looked like, man. Excellent. Oh man, I got a big head too. I'm man. so sad we don't have video of that. Oh, I would have uh, memed that so well. Uh, I'll, I'll do it again or something some other time. <clears throat> anyway, anywho. <laughs> Whatever. 
Justin Jackson, I totally get it. Could be a breakout player. I'm all for it. The coaches say this is his last shot. So if that's kind of the spark for him, great. So I'm going to pick a different player for breakout. And it's going to be a little surprising. I didn't think I was going to go with him. Joey Bosa. (laughs) Whoa. And here's why. Excuse me? I don't think... I know. Hold on. Particularly, I look, as a complete player, he's one of the best defenders in the league. I do think there is room for him to break out as a sack artist. Obviously, okay. the pressures are there and yada, yada. But for some games, as long as I can remember, to be completely honest, you know, I'll watch him. So after, like, uh, was it um, 2017? Yeah, it's the second season where he plays, like, the Redskins and he plays the Eagles. And I'm waiting for Joey Bosa to make a play, and he's having trouble against guys like Peters, like Trent Williams. Like, man, when's he going to really kick it in? And in 2018, he gets hurt. That's not much of a season. You know, 2019, now he's playing without Derwin James. I mean, the most sacks he's ever had in a season is 12 and a half. And I just think there's a little bit of a chance that he can take that next step, start getting like that 16. I mean, J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, he's got, obviously Donald's a different position. You guys are having like 20 sack seasons. Maybe Bosa doesn't have that. But, you know, if you ask someone, I don't know if, Steven, you had a poll or where I, was, I saw it was, you know, where do you rank Joey Bosa around edge rushers? And I don't know what you're pulling yeah. it up with, but it was, certainly wasn't like everyone was like, oh, he's the number one guy. You know, and I think particularly in a contract year with Linval Joseph and finally starting, he's never started week one with Derwin James, I'm pretty sure. And to have him the entire season fingers crossed, knock on wood, with Linval Joseph with him, maybe an advancing Jerry Tillery, obviously Ingram, Mosu, a better linebacker group, and I've got to account for Kenneth Murray blitzing or whatever they do. I think he has room to break out as an edge rusher and just take that next step into becoming an absolutely terrifying elite, at least one sack a game kind of guy. So there's my oddball choice the other option is just the entire 2019 draft class which did next to nothing last year so that's my choice <laughs> that's a, that's a funny shot but none of us picks jerry tillery at all yeah uh, i just honestly i don't i don't know what to expect about jerry tillery because i like justin jones a lot and so i think that that role is going to be basically like a 50 50 split so that'll be one of the the more important position battles i think Justin Jones was really good in twenty. He's a lot better against the run. Really than, he's a lot better against the run than Jerry Tillery is. That's for sure. But yeah, absolutely. So the the poll that I put up came about because of Bucky Brooks put out a, a top five edge rusher article and, and Joey wasn't on it. He had uh, Chandler Jones. He didn't have Von Miller on it either. He had Chandler Jones. Um, really? That was number one. Then he had T.J. Watt was five. He had. Um, I'm really struggling to remember the rest of the list, but um, Khalil Mack was on there as well. But so I put out the list just to kind of see where you know Chargers fans have him rated, and and most of it was it was like 50 percent was top five. But mm-hmm. Daniel Popper pointed to this out that one of the key, and you know, we just kind of mentioned this, one of the key things to watch this season is going to be the defensive tackle position if they're able to get any kind of pass rush production from any one of those three because really like the best defensive tackle the Chargers had last year at getting pass rush pressure was Damian Square. And, you know, Jerry Tillery, he had one good game where it was like, okay, you can kind of see some flashes here. Justin Jones had a, I think Justin Jones only had half a sack. And Brandon Mebane was has been non-existent as a pass rusher his whole career. So that's the thing with Joey Bosa in terms of getting sacks at an elite and a more elite number is that there there has to be a threat from pressure up the middle on the defense. So anytime the Chargers are in a passing down situation, other teams are sending a double team to Joey Bosa, or they're sending a chip to Joey Bosa, or they're sending a chip to Melvin Ingram, because there's no there no one's worried about Brandon Mebane and Justin Jones and Jerry Tiller up the middle. They're just not. And you know I think. For Joey to get up into that 15, 16, 17 sack territory, I think Jerry Tillery and Limbaugh Joseph are going to have to get three or four each and at least bring a, a threat to the interior of the defensive line. Alrighty, that's it for us. Jason, 
Can you tell me where Chargers fans can find you on social media? And also, um, how's the wind over there? Oh my god. Stupid bobblehead Tyler, man. Um, what did you ask? How's the wind? Oh, uh, the wind has calmed down. Uh, for those that don't know, um, I'm in Texas, and so I got like tornado warnings and crap, and I was not happy. Um, but I'm I'm over it now. I've, I think I've conquered the fear of tornado. No, I haven't. They're scary. They're scary. <laughs> I don't want. Um, what was the other question? <laughs> he was pummeling his head, man. Where to find you on social media, dude? <laughs> oh. Um, shoot, Centauri uh, thirteen Twitter, uh, uh, fluff. What's the other thing? Uh, Instagram is GAC Podcast seventeen. Um, God, we really need to make a TikTok. Uh, I'm not making a TikTok ever. So, uh, if you want to do that on your own, you can go for it. Uh, Look, there are so many puppy videos on TikTok. Everybody get a TikTok and watch all the puppy videos. It's freaking adorable, man. I've, I'll get My eyes will be glued to the screen for hours because I'll just be watching puppies and kittens and, like, fawns and stuff, and they're so cute. Oh, my God. It's so adorable. Anyways, that's off, that's off track. <laughs> Good job, dude. Uh, so I'm at Stephen I. Haglin and at GAC Podcast 17 on Twitter. Uh, we are inching closer to our June giveaway, which is going to be two Chargers hats to two Patreon users. Uh, so if you're not on Patreon, make sure you get on there before June 1st. Uh, we'll take entries all the way up until 11.59 p.m. on June 1st. So make sure you get on Patreon if you want a shot at a free Chargers hat. Woohoo! Um... So yeah, everything pretty much falls off the rails at the end of this podcast, end of every podcast episode. Can someone just comment after you hear the end of this episode that you're actually listening to the end of this episode? I'm just curious if anyone other than Brian and John does. actually listen to the end of this episode. Does anybody? Does anybody? Because we're all hilarious at the end and no one comments on our jokes. So I'm slightly offended. <laughs> Alright, anyway. Um, so yeah, please I'll stop putting follow it. Yeah, I'm done. I'm quit. I'm going to switch to Chinese. No, um, Steven's been doing a lot of really great work on, on the Patreon channel slash YouTube. Um, as I tweeted out, the dude, and he said it on this episode, he's been, he watched one game for 48 hours, essentially. That's not really, but kind of also. I've seen the notes. He was halfway through the game, and it was like a binder. And it wasn't like a, a little little... Comp, you know what's it called? Not composite. Oh yeah, composition book. It wasn't a composition book. Hi, I'm a scientist. Uh, it was it was a legit notebook. I'm pretty sure this guy's doing a lot of work. So please check out the Patreon. I know he's got a video up of elite breakout squared free safety Rayshon Jenkins. <laughs> if you wanted to watch him for 20 minutes, uh, there you go. It only costs you a dollar a month to watch Rayshon Jenkins for 20 minutes. Um, so there's that. I this just is have Tyler. You can one what? question. Jason, gosh dang it. Yes, I did it. <laughs> I'm so respectful. Uh, I want I have to listen one to question. you instead of bulldoze. What? <laughs> uh, Steven, when are you going to watch Michael Badgley? Oh, well, Michael Badgley is my wife's favorite player. So, you know, I'll have to do a Michael Badgley breakdown in her honor. So, probably. And here you see him kick the ball yeah. <laughs> between the uprights. Yeah. That breakdown. And it's good. That breakdown will last like <laughs> maybe a minute long. Because <laughs> I don't know anything about kicking, man. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't yeah. look like Sturgis equals good. No. Sturgis was bad. Yeah. Really bad. Very bad. Young Waku, worse. Was bad. That's true. Was he worse? It was understandable because Ku was young. Sturgis was a vet, and he was awful. And the, there was no excuse. And they cut Kayser for him, so that was fun. Ugh. <laughs> That's fun. This All right, everything's off the rails. <laughs> Find me at Tyler J. Shoon. Get out of here. Go home. Stop listening to our podcast. Do something else. Uh, stay safe. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.